if you're not a Johnny Cash song, then you can just skip ahead a couple minutes. But and there, what? There's a song called she... Sorry, everyone who's not a Johnny Cash song. Ah, oh, geez. Did I really say that? Okay. <laughs> I'm a Johnny Cash song. We're all Johnny, yes. Cash. We're all Johnny Cash songs. Myself today. Hello and welcome to Rhythm Encounter episode 63, the RPG Fan Music Podcast. I'm your host and slash editor-in-chief, Mike Salvato, and today we're going to be talking about opening and ending music, and I have three excellent panelists with me today, so starting with Hillary. Hi, nice to be here. And also joining me again, both of you have been here a few times recently, so we also have Patrick Gann. Hey everybody. And Peter Treisenberg. Hello. And I probably wasn't supposed to mention already that we're doing openings and endings, but you know what? If you're listening, you're looking at your podcast, you're looking at the site, you already know that anyway, so that's okay. So th this has been an idea for, I think, quite a while. It it's been kind of floating around on our list of potential topics to do one day, and now we're finally doing it. So th the structure is mostly like other episodes, but because of the idea of having opening and endings, what we did today is... All four of us each picked one opening and one ending. So instead of mixing up the songs in between each block, each block of songs is going to be based on each person. I don't know if there's any longer way I could have explained such a simple concept, but there you go. Uh, now we have we all have our own little stories. Yes. So everyone gets to introduce their little sections one at a time. So I think that pretty much describes it. So I say we start getting into it. So we're actually going to start off with Pat. So Pat has uh, an opening and ending here. So what are we going to start with? So first of all, I just want to say <laughs> this was really hard. Both my opening and ending tracks are from the PlayStation 1 era, which for me is like a golden era of mm -hmm. opening and ending themes because it was sort of the advent of full motion video being standard with role playing games. I could have easily picked 10 openings and 10 endings just from the PS1 era and been very satisfied with that list. So Pulling just one from each was very hard. For my opening, I cheated just a little bit. Wild Arms 2 was a game that came on two discs, and they actually produced a different anime full motion video for each disc's opening, and then also wrote a different song. So there's a disc one opening, and then there's also a disc two opening. And disc two's opening is like the most intense in your like it comes in with this blasting trumpet it's called resistance line and it's like so perfect interestingly if you purchase this game in america they cut the vocals and replace the vocals with what? um wow a trumpet playing um the vocalist part hmm. so uh yeah so we got instrumental openings but the japanese vocal version is like where it's at and so that's what you'll be hearing for my ending track I picked an instrumental piece, a pretty lengthy one from Motoi Sakuraba. It's um, a song called We Form in Crystals from uh, Star Ocean, the second story. If you played the uh, PSP port, Second Evolution, they actually created like these very like J-poppy opening and ending vocal tracks for that game. And so the ending FMV was replaced 
with a different song, but then when they ran just the text credits on that PSP version, they still played Wii Form and Crystals. But the original PS1 version had this like CG ending FMV that went with the song. It looked kind of rough because it was really highly compressed to fit on the disc. I remember that like clearly in my head, but it was really magical at the time and listening to it now like 20 some years later i still think it's magical so that's why i picked it all right so let's go listen to wild arms 2 and star ocean 2 
Yo, so how about that violin on We Form and Crystals, y'all? Yeah, that, that almost sounds like some crazy experimental jazz stuff, almost. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah. I love there's just that recurring background. Dun, 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 dun. I think that's in six, but then other parts of the song are in four, which means polyrhythm. Right, polyrhythmic and kind of syncopated, which is weird to listen to, but I still really, really like it. But the tempo on it's slow enough that you can do something like a really heavily improvised violin solo which is what you get about in the middle there Mm -hmm. so i hope everyone appreciated that and then so we got the full longer version of resistance line if you check it out with the anime fmv the song's only like 90 seconds long just get a verse and a chorus and that crazy trumpet at the beginning i guess that's the two things that these two songs have in common that I thought about sort of intentionally was like the sort of big signature instrumental section somewhere. I do really like the vocals on Resistance Line as well, though. The verses are really like dark and low, and then it builds during the pre-chorus. And then for people who know music theory, like there's a secondary dominant that leads into the the minor tonic for the chorus. And it's very like perfect spaghetti Western kind of stuff. Um, so to me, the, the disc one is opening is very like hopeful and like bright. And this one is more like gritty and that's what I like about it. It is. It's very gritty. It's very, I mean, the title says it all, doesn't it? It's very like, I'm standing my ground musically. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned to the, um, because it's the disc two opening and I was thinking, listening to this, that it really does sound like an an, like an anime intro. Like this could be mm-hmm. like before your three o'clock show or whatever. And um, I know that the Wild Arms developers were really heavily inspired by Trigun, yep. so that checks out. But this really feels like an anime's second opening in the middle of the season when the stories all come together and now things are like getting serious and like yeah it's good it's catchy yeah it does feel like a mid-season opening theme yeah totally that's a good point you just answered my big question on this was because i couldn't think of any other rpg that has its own opening on a second disc and i was going to ask why exactly if there's some big event in the story but i wonder if it's if it's that if it's the anime influence oh there absolutely is in fact if you own the ost the ost lines up with the game fairly well and the last track of Disc 1's OST is for a very short FMV that takes place at the end of Disc 1, the game. And something very, very insane happens, like almost equivalent to like an FF6 World of Ruin kind of thing. Oh, okay. I was going to ask. It gets that big. And then they're like, insert Disc 2, and you get a whole new FMV sequence, and you see all these characters you haven't met yet. And it's almost like an entirely separate plot line. And it's great. I've still only played the first one. I've only played the first two games. I've never played three or beyond. It's really interesting to me. It almost seems kind of like a precursor to some other games and some other media that have sort of had like the dynamic openings or dynamic cutscenes, kind of where it changes a little bit based on the point where you are in the plot. Oh, yeah. No, this one changes a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, instead yeah. it's just like that one really marked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do we want to talk about Battlestar Galactica on this podcast? <laughs> Again? <laughs> Again? I mean, why not? I'm rusty. I've, I've only watched the show through once, but that that is still, I just still love they did that. 
We could also talk about Farscape. Farscape kind of does that. But I haven't seen Farscape. They did it for Game of Thrones, too. They would change the uh, models on the, uh, the the big map. Yeah! The different places. Okay. I was so happy to see Dorne. Yeah, right? Too bad about the rest of that plot line. Um, I know! <laughs> okay. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. Well. Welcome to our, to our fourth podcast, Television Encounter, where we just complain about canceled TV shows. Yes. We can't start an intellivision encounter yet, though, because we still need to talk more about Reforming Crystals. That's true. That's true. Real quick about the title to this song. I mean, if, if some of our listeners may be like big on Motoi Sakuraba, and if you are, you know that he is insistent on self-titling his music, and he generally does it in English, and he does not have a mastery of the English language, and he is honest and open about that. So sometimes you get titles that really don't make sense, and then you get ones like this that are like poetic and beautiful, but still don't quite make sense. Is this where I get to mention my favorite bad one? Do it. I think my favorite one is No, No, I Don't Die, No, from Maternal Sonata. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that would be another one that he named, yeah. So yeah, he's probably named somewhere between one and 2,000 songs in his life in English, and some of them come out kind of funny uh but this one i i really like the title i mean the idea that you know if you understand the concept of crystal formation and sort of the chemistry and the science behind that to suggest that like all of life would look like that even though if you like know astrophysics you know that's not quite the case but uh in a poetic sense it's really nice to think about and if you've played the game star ocean the second story you know that there's this really powerful plot point that carries all the way to the end that has to do with the continuum of space and time and one of your characters kind of being stuck out of that and um the resolution to that and the other people who are stuck out of time who are essentially the villains this title in the context of all of that and then also in the context of the CG that they made where they're just showing you like all the weird sort of like avatar level bioluminescence, weird fauna and flora. Like there's just something really special about it. The, the ending CG sort of looks like um, like a trailer for planet Earth. Yes. It, it's almost like documentary footage. Yes. Um, I like that a lot, actually, because of that. But instead of planet earth it's planet something like earth but a little more <laughs> vibrant or weird yes mm-hmm. and, and i think the title kind of reflects that too yep the the whole star ocean idea of all these different worlds interacting at all these different stages of development which is really neat what else did i have down for this oh yes this song contains the sakuraba chorus which is great oh yes yeah that like <laughs> synth that he uses all throughout uh-huh. the ps1 era yeah he used it heavily in a one town theme called Sacred Song, which is probably yep. my favorite songs that he wrote during the PS1 era. Is that Star Ocean? or? Yeah, it's also Star Ocean, the second story, yeah. Just th- throughout that and Valkyrie Profile, I-, I just love listening to all the different places he uses that. Yeah, he uses it in both VPs and in Tales of Destiny, a lot of Tales games and a lot of Star Ocean going forward. His synth choral sound like is very good. I don't know where he got it, what sound bank he got it from or to what extent he personally fiddled with it to make it better, but it is good. <laughs> I just I just can't get over what's going on rhythmically in Reforming Crystals. It's just really unlike a lot of other music out there. Yeah, you really got to nod your head to it, you know? Yeah, and I think it's... I almost was counting, like, seriously, for the different parts. There's a lot. That was... The base of the song, like, when when it starts out, is kind of what you guys talked about, where it's familiar at first. Like, you know this sound. If you know his other work, 
on even just this game or the other games we talked about. It sounds familiar, but it's interesting as the song goes on because it's what is it five five six minutes? It's kind of long. Six minutes. And and it just it keeps going different places with different instruments, and it's just it's an interesting journey. Just as you see what comes next, and you know there's there's strings, there's there's some symbols in the middle, which I really like the symbols for some. Oh, reason. this yeah, when the symbols come in are really nice. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a very decorative piece, and there's just a lot to take in and it's it's worth studying i honestly think it's a good example of him at his best because tons of layers tons of things that are almost dissonant but they work together Mm -hmm. and a lot of different sections a lot of transitions but none of them are overly jarring they're like just unexpected enough i would say for me personally at least so yeah i've liked this one for a while so I'm excited that you picked it. You're welcome. I never finished Star Ocean 2, so I don't know that I've actually heard the song before we were preparing for this episode, so I enjoyed it. Even though I heard it, you know, 20 plus years later than a lot of people, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it shows it stands up well. It does. Um, it does. I mean, it's it's almost entirely synthesized. I think the violin uh, and maybe guitar are recorded. But the like from an actual instrument, but most of it is just Sakuraba at a keyboard synthesized music. So he's crazy. He's good. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We talked about burnout on the Shimamura episode two episodes ago, and I feel like he either doesn't experience it or is just really good at like coping with it, so he can move forward. Because if you click on like an artist's name on VGMDB and look at their discography, like. Sakuraba is pretty steadily putting out two to three large form OSTs either by himself or as the lead of a team every single year since like 94. Like it's insane. He's just a powerhouse. And it's not all 100%. Like some of it you hear it and you go, oh, that's kind of samey. But like for the most part, like he he really puts his best foot forward. So he has a clone. (laughs) He might. He might have a ghostwriter. Who knows? I'm not going to accuse him of it, but maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe he's the K Applegate of the music world. (laughs) Maybe. There's a reference for you. I like it. All right. What do we got next? Oh, I think we got the uh, PT, the Peter Treisenberg block. Oh, yes. Don't touch that dial now. We're just getting started. Before he says what his are, I'm just going to let the audience know what they aren't. There's no Kingdom Hearts here. And that's probably because we've featured those songs heavily in past episodes. But I was impressed by your ability to not pick a Hikaru Utada song here. Oh, it 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 was such a close call. Yeah, I bet. I thought about it too, honestly. Yeah, I almost I almost put passion in the Japanese form yep. sanctuary. Yeah, face my fears mm-hmm. was almost in the in the running too. Mm-hmm. But um, my two picks for this episode are um, "Heaven's Word" from "Heaven's Word: Final Fantasy XIV" by Masayoshi Soken, um, because it's just an insanely epic opening, and having finally like gotten into fourteen and finished the "Heaven's Word" expansion, I can just appreciate it all the more. And then my ending theme is maybe tomorrow from xenosaga 3 shout out to tyler uh this song's by yuki kajiura and it's just a really beautiful vocal piece that i've been a huge fan of for years all right these two well these two songs but like these two composers specifically are two of my all-time favorites so even if there's no kingdom hearts i'm really happy with these ones so i'm excited to get into this one Ditto. all right Let's go listen to Heaven's Word and maybe tomorrow. Mm-hmm. 
is gone and the night is still so dark I'm a little bit afraid of tomorrow for this day was so long and hard for me and I've lost some of the things so far I have trusted now I will close my heart Bless my dream with gentle darkness Until I could have my strength To wait for the light Maybe tomorrow I've come through some betrayal Like my mother, father did I will cry a little while And wait for tomorrow There's no way to be free from the loneliness It took so long for me to notice But now I'm on my way to find my light Maybe The moon is gone 
And the night is still so dark I'm a little bit afraid of tomorrow But I So yeah, so the Heaven's Word opening is a really fantastic piece of music. Uh, I, I really love how um, it sort of works thematically. It really represents the duality of Heaven's Word's story because you have the main vocal piece in the middle, like with the the male chorus, is like a prayer. It's all it's like a pr a prayer to the Fury to Helone, which Ishgard is. Um, very devout. Um, they've got, you know, they're, they're the holy see of Ishgard. So they're ruled by a church, and their they're knights and dragoons are essentially on a crusade. They're in, like, a holy war with these dragons. Which becomes a major point of contention in the story, because, the, of course, there's a, there are two sides to every story. So the second part of the song, near the very end, switches to Dravanian, and, and it's the dragons singing about their revenge how they're going to, to come from the sky and burn down Ishgard. And it's just, it's a really great piece that really just kind of underscores the conflict that is at the center of that storyline. And plus, I mean, if you watch this in the game along with the music, it's just timed so well. Like, the chorus starts swelling just as the main character's, like, putting on his Dragoon armor and the clawed, gauntleted fist just kind of goes like, Shing, and it's like, ah, uh, <laughs> my brain is making the happy chemicals. <laughs> yeah, yep. It's happened so rarely now. 14 really knows how to complement those big sequences with the music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This motif gets used a, a lot throughout 14, too. There's a couple tracks later in the game that work it in. One of my favorites is Revenge Twofold, one of the final um, boss themes in mm -hmm. 14. I love that song so much. Um, it's got such a great build. One of my favorites. Yeah, I know. No kidding. Especially for that last fight. Uh... It's interesting that you mentioned how it underscores the main conflict of the whole game because musically, it almost does that too because it almost functions sort of like a medley because I heard answers in there. I heard like a few different... Yeah, and how it opens up showing... Um, the warrior of light and all that escaping from in old um i won't get into too many specifics but um it transitions neatly from the ending of the base game into the story of the new expansion and does a good job of kind of announcing to the player hey uh things are going to be very different from here on out yeah absolutely well i think we can all agree like masa yoshi so kind sort of came out of nowhere and proved to be like just ridiculously amazing oh god yes and there were 
a lot I mean you could pick opening and ending music from any of the main expansions and they all would have been fine choices like Hillary just mentioned Answers which like is a song that messes with my brain I like it so much but I think the Heavensward opening is like you said especially if you've seen it in the context of that visual sequence and you gotta wonder like how closely did Soken work with you know the rest of the team to make all that work like it's really good it makes me angry how good it is it is yeah Yeah. and i'm really sorry i misspoke a minute ago it is not answers that i was hearing what were you hearing although i'm looking at my notes and i compared this to answers because that's another really awesome song that Mm -hmm. is incredibly well timed no i think heroes is oh yeah yeah yeah. oh heroes yeah yes yes. yep that is one of the songs i hear in the medley heroes (laughs) Heroes is near the end of 3.0. And I noticed a kind of little hmm when I said answers. Yes, heroes. There's also a boss track called The Heaven's Ward that plays during a very specific Mm -hmm. boss fight later in 14 that also uses that motif. And I love Um, how the opening theme, it it almost sounds like an aria at first because you've got like the one strong lead female vocal and that kind of goes with the other like vocal track with Susan Calloway. Oh, Dragon Song. Yeah, Dragon yeah. Song. Dragon Song. Dragon Song is amazing. All right. I, I debated about this because I don't like being that guy who was like, hey, you know when I first heard this song, but I have to do it a little bit because it was just it was just a cool moment. Mm-hmm. Typically, outside of this year, of course, when they reveal new expansions, they always do it at the different fan fests. So when they revealed Heaven's Word, it was at, uh, I guess, Fan Fest 2014. So... I just want to throw out how cool of an experience it was to be in this like kind of small, kind of small like event hall in Las Vegas in this room and to be one of the first people that got to see this because that that's all they oh, showed. Like man. they didn't show any footage right off the bat. They just said, okay, here's a video and just played this cutscene and this song. There was an energy in the room when that happened. It was just really exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. And it's grown. Yeah, so yeah, much. yeah, we we didn't have 20 million players back then. This is almost like, I mean, 14, like its rise from the ashes is well documented. But Heaven's Word is almost like the second reboot, if that makes sense, because it's like they recast the characters, they um tighten up the, the systems in gameplay. They start kind of it starts becoming the game we know and love. Right. I know. I know this has all been said, too, but, you know, A Realm Reborn was like, hey, let's Let's rework the game that's there. And when they got to Heavensward, that was when the new team got to actually make something from scratch. And there's a noticeable difference. Like, this is what these people can really do. And it's amazing. Absolutely. So, yeah, the song, you know, one of the things I like about the song, too, is as much as I might have heard it before the game came out, or even like when you start playing, you can listen to the song and you can read the lyrics. And if you don't know the full story... It's neat and it's poetic and you can kind of get what they're inferring. But once you know the whole story, if you really look at the lyrics of the song, they more or less tell you everything that is going to happen to the entire, like, 3.0 story. Yeah. It just touches on each thing, but it's like, yes, there's this whole thing about betrayal and there's this and there's people and there's this other side. And it's I think it's just really, really masterfully done that it doesn't give it away if you don't know it yet. But once you know it, you go back and you're like, oh, it was all right there in front of me the whole time <laughs> it, it, it does help that some of the lyrics are in a fictitious language too which i mean i do i appreciate the effort there yeah. like going to the trouble of having it in the dragon language yeah i don't know how much you've looked into it because i know peter you've been playing so much recently 
I think it was in my review of the soundtrack, the Blu-ray soundtrack. I talked about it a little bit and got way too flowery or something because I put lyrics throughout my review and stuff like that. But I think in there I, I linked to a forum post on the game and that where they talked about coming up with the language and all the different ways and how you can like, I think there was like a translation key or something. Like the effort they went into to like build this dragon language was just amazing. That's pretty great. Like, yeah, no, that's that's I love the, the attention to detail. Yeah, but maybe we can talk about that tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Um, I, 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 yeah. So maybe tomorrow is a really gorgeous vocal piece. I think Ka- Kajira in general is really great at that. A lot of her music uses female vocals, and um, oftentimes it's in her own. I think it's actually her own made-up language. But uh, this one's in English, and it's really sweet. I just think, I, I just get a really serene feeling when I listen to this song. Like, it's very sweet. It's very heartfelt. I really like the violin that's going for it. Once again, I still haven't played the game that this is from, although it's on my list. But uh, I'm looking forward to hearing it in the, in the... I believe it plays during the end credits. I looked up the lyrics a little bit, so it has this kind of sense of finality to it. So I had to look up the lyrics and, you know... Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. It sort of has this... Is, is longing the right word? I don't know. It's kind of like wistful, like reminiscence kind of thing. Or maybe that's my notes from the other song coming up later. But... <laughs> well, it definitely... Musically, it definitely hits that kind of tone, I feel. Well, the the lyrics are interesting, too. And maybe, Peter, since you're going to play it, maybe don't look up the lyrics. <laughs> um, but it, it's interesting how it, it starts out talking about something... And like, hey, without getting into details, because, you know, anyone listening, you can look up the lyrics, but it's someone singing about, hey, like, thinking they have a grasp on the situation. It's like, well, maybe this is how this is. And actually, Hillary, you explained it pretty well. Like, what's that called? Like, they start the song again. They start using the same lyrics again towards the end of the song. It's a reprise where her perspective changes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. At at the the end, end, she's like, oh, wait, actually, it's this. And it's just it's a really interesting way of taking it. Yeah, Which doesn't really talk about how pretty the music is, but I, I do like the lyrics of it, too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that reprise is definitely in my notes. It's a musical device that I can be a sucker for sometimes when it's well done in a vocal track. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the way things are. But wait. I don't know. I like it. But wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite that. It's not a Billy Mays. Oh, <laughs> uh, if only. I, I really like the kind of gentle piano and this more gentle vocals at the beginning but i also appreciate how it builds pretty well into something that's kind of almost rock ballady yeah it's it's a little different from pretty much everything else kajira did for Zuna saga 2 and 3 it was just listening to the soundtracks like importing them before i had a chance to play the games when i first listened to maybe tomorrow it was a bit off-putting for me now that was 14 15 years ago <laughs> Um, once you play the game, I think, yeah, there is a sense of finality to it. And I think a little nudge of genre work for her vocal tracks away from something too wispy and ethereal to something a little more solid Mm -hmm. was kind of necessary to draw out finality, which probably from a director's standpoint must have been really important because you really didn't want fans leaving thinking, hey, what if they do just a little more? Like, that story arc is definitely over (laughs) when you finish that game. If you've played the game and you see, like, 
the hour and a half's worth of cutscenes after the final battle <laughs> that like wraps everything up and then what happens after that like this song is like the perfect ending to that game contextually it was the right move to write a song like this yeah they really had to like trim it down because um not not the song but the games Xenos- right yeah xenosaga the series had to be kind of it kind of got cut midway through now it's a whole long it's it's whole thing mm-hmm. but so with three they really pulled out all the stops and i think that's why it's probably the best regarded game in the series and musically it just hits so many high notes so yeah this song really does feel like not just the end of a game but the end of a saga like it really is like this is we've come so far we've learned so much and now it's time to uh to rest a little bit i should point out too and i knew i forgot to do one thing before like preparing for this but there is two versions of this song yes technically um so there's there's one on the actual game soundtrack that's almost eight minutes long and the one we're going to be playing in this episode is actually off of yuki kajira's own album uh fiction two mm-hmm. so this one's a couple minutes shorter and i don't remember what the difference is i don't know if it's just they cut off the last couple of minutes or it's actually a slightly different arrangement i think it's a slightly different arrangement it, like mainly the the ending of the song is uh in the um the soundtrack version there is a more of an orca a bombastic orchestral conclusion after the vocal piece is over kind of like a movie score you know it it it, it goes on to do like a, a motif from the game i, I got believe. you okay but this version um instead kind of tapers off and ends like it just it ends the uh like a song basically like a vocal song right it kind of reminds me um this is a i i don't know if any of you have listened there's a band called within temptation oh yes my brother introduced me to them years ago they're great oh they're great i actually just got into them yeah their vocals their style like a symphonic metal group yep yep they do a lot of songs that are more downbeat and their vocalist is a woman. And I think that this song reminds me, like it feels like something they would do. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I never thought about that. You're right. I've not listened to them in years now, and I don't know why I love them. Also worth mentioning, too, is like, if you do like this song, I would recommend not only the, I almost said Xeno Gears 3, <laughs> um, the Xeno Saga 3 soundtrack, even though it's out of print and impossible to get, but her own albums, Fiction 1 and 2, and I don't think there's a Fiction 3 yet, both really good albums. Fiction 2 actually has several Xenosaga songs on it. Yeah, Kajira has a lot of stuff up on Spotify you can look at. Oh, beautiful. So that's that's a good way to listen to her. In general, I think she's just an incredibly talented musician. And she's gone on to work on so many things. Like I'm pretty sure she also works on Sword Art Online, too. You know, I didn't really know much of her. I can't remember when I really learned about her. It might have been around when Xenosaga 2 came out, but I definitely knew Mitsuda. So, like, when... The first game came out and they had Mitsuda. I was all for it. And I liked the music in that game. Uh-huh. You know, when the music actually plays in the game. Oh, God. So when they when they announced the second one, they're like, oh, yeah, Mitsuda's not doing it anymore. It's someone else. I was like, are you sure? Like, but why would you do that? And I don't have those thoughts anymore because everything she did on both those games are just so incredible. It really is. And even Hosoe's stuff, like, it's it's different from Kajira's, but Hosoe is still a talented composer. Yes, definitely. That series of games is a whole musical journey. It's really cool. Is there any good segue that I can work in that Johnny Cash song? No? I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm the host. That works. There was a song on um, Out Among the Stars. It, it was a 
one of several albums that came out after Johnny Cash passed away. You know, like lost recordings and stuff like that. But there's a song on there I actually liked a lot. Okay, I'm going to keep this short, but it's a song called She Used to Love Me a Lot. And it's this thing where he's singing about this old girlfriend. He bumps into her in some diner and he's like, oh, yeah, like we had this great thing. And like, you know, but it didn't work out. And But if I wanted to, like she'd get back with me. And then at the end of the song, she's like, yeah, no, no, that's I'm not into that. And he has this realization. It's like, oh, wait. She used to love me. She used to love me. And then, the, and again, it's the exact same kind of thing this song did. I don't know how I'm comparing Xenosaga to Johnny Cash. But it, it's just an interesting twist. You're like, oh, that went a different place than I thought it was going to go. Well, I know why we're talking about reprises. Reprises, yeah. I don't know. I guess that's a thing I like. So I need to listen to more of that. It's a good example of a reprise with a conceit in it, like a twist that you weren't expecting. Yeah. So speaking of twists that we weren't expecting... Let's talk about Terranigma. Quintet. <laughs> Was not expecting this choice. You weren't? No, just because, I mean, it's an older game, but it's a great song. Yeah, but I'm old. I'm old and like older games. We're old together, Mike. Come on. That's true. That's true. Okay, Boomer. I said this off air, but like it was very close for me. Like I, I actually have, I'll bring it up right now. I have a playlist for this episode of 17 songs, and I had to narrow it down to two. Well, I'm always happy to talk quintet, and I'm excited to hear more about like why this one out of all those good options. Well, I will tell you after these messages. <laughs> so my songs are next. We're going to have the opening theme, the arranged opening theme from Terranigma, because there was like on the soundtrack, there was the original and some arrangements on the soundtrack. Six tracks arranged at the beginning of the disc. I remember that clearly. Yeah, it was an interesting choice. And then the stat, the ending staff role from the Zelda Link's Awakening remake in 2019. So we're going to go listen to those and come right back.
So what is it that's so great about this particular like arranged version of this opening? Because one of the things I wrote about this piece, this opening, is that it has that signature quintet, like slightly minor sound. And sadly, I wasn't able to delve into like musical theory quite enough to figure out if it's a certain musical mode or what it is. But their opening themes always have just kind of like a slightly jarring, slightly dissonant, but still very adventurous kind of sound. That's a good way of putting it. In fact, you already invalidated half my notes for the song. I did? Well, not completely, <laughs> but, in, but in a more descriptive way. So my notes touch on that a little bit. Like the first 25 seconds or so are, are interesting. Like there's this little buildup. And then after that point, it really like kicks in and you're like, oh, hey, I'm it really gets you in the mood of like going on this big adventure, this like literal like world spanning adventure. But yeah, I don't I don't really know what it is either. And which isn't surprising because if you who know all this like music terminology that I don't know, don't know how to describe it. I just know there's this sound. There are certain sounds that I associate with quintet that they that appears in their games. And it's in this one, too. And I just like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, Miyoko Kobayashi actually worked on some of the early Atelier games as well. In fact, a bunch of quintet staff worked on, I think, the third, fourth, and fifth Atelier games. Oh, nice. Oh. Actually, they even did they did item design artwork on the sixth one on Atelier Iris, which we got. Huh. But um, Miyoko Kobayashi, like when you listen to like Atelier Lily or Judy, you hear some of those same synthesized sounds, a lot of um, some of the percussion or, or plucked strings that other people who use a lot of percussion and plucked strings, it was just a different like sound bank. Like mm -hmm. it's a lot of similar instrumentation to what Yasunori Matsuda would use, but it was coming from somewhere different. So it sounds different on the hardware. And then the arranged version, which was probably essentially just a MIDI synth that didn't have to be sequenced down into 16 bit, whatever, ever also has that going for it really nicely. So I think the arranged opening is a really interesting and fun track. Definitely. And I like how it elaborates on that one single musical motif. So well, the do, 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 yeah that like two or four measure melodic strain like that does a lot of the heavy lifting for the song and that's not a bad thing i think it works really nicely yeah definitely i love that game best thing to do is if you have an snes classic is just to do the mod so you can load any rom onto it my brother-in-law did that for hours he loaded like another hundred games on it and Terranigma was on there and I like forced my middle child to play it. <laughs> like I literally forced him to do it. I played it in 2003, my freshman year of college. And I went in with no expectation. Like no one had really told me much about it. The most I knew about it was its soundtrack because um, Kenneth Chu actually sold me his copy back <laughs> then. Um, that was the first time I saw someone with like a collection of soundtracks and he had like 60 on a wall and he had i picked up music from east five and the tenchi sozo creative tracks oh, album wow. cool. oh man and he sold it to me for like pennies on the dollar like a stupid low price like he probably could have sold each for 50 and he sold it to me for like 40 for the two combined that was in 2000 i was 16 it was the first time i met anyone from rpg fan Aww. so i always had like these musical memories of the game and I was like I should really play it and I went through and like played a crap ton 
of games that hadn't come to America. I remember that freshman year of college I played Bahamut Lagoon, Live Alive, um, Second Nintatsu 3, Terranigma, Front Mission. What? We did the same thing. Like, I did that between high school and college. <laughs> yeah, like way, way too many games. I, there's at least five more I can't think of. I, I, the Sailor Moon RPG. Star Ocean? Um, Star Ocean 1. Yep. Tales of Fantasia. Yep. Yep. All the ones with fan translations. I just tore through them and loved it. It was a great year of my life. <laughs> One of my friends in Colorado recently made me play the Magic Knight Ray Earth Saturn game. <gasps> it's a good game. It's so much fun. You you played the working designs translated version? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the jokes in that are ridiculous. They There's are. a Bill Clinton joke. Of course there is. Yeah, if you if you ever can, like just modern SNS, it runs so nicely. When I don't think my son finished it yet. Micah is well he just he just turned thirteen last week. He's probably gotten to the point I think he just saw the scene with the deer cannibalism. Oh my god! It's the part where you you stop being able to talk to animals and then humans exist and you talk to humans. So he probably got, I think it's Lahasa, he got up to there. Yep. I talked about that on our quintet podcast forever ago and how that was just like a weird and unsettling turning point in that game. There's a lot that's unsettling in that game, but that might be the, that might be the top for me. Is like, yep. <laughs> my spouse died, I'm gonna eat it to stay alive, and Ark's just sitting over there like, I can't do that. And like the deer's like, this is my freaking spouse and I'm doing it. Like, get your <laughs> together. <laughs> that tells you a lot about Ark as a character as well. Like that he, like he wouldn't want to hurt anything else. It's almost like if he faced like the philosophical trolley problem, like he couldn't pull the lever, even if it saved more people than it killed. Cause he doesn't want to take action to hurt. And that's kind of like when he finds out his whole job was to like harvest life back for the inner world he like rebels against that he's mm -hmm. like no i've seen all these people and i won't let you hurt them but that's like a turning point for him is like i'm gonna have to let go of who i was too and my whole society and world because when he realizes it's parasitic he's like i can't have it that's like that whole ending is ridiculous <laughs> freaking love it yeah for a super famicom game it's just really heavy subject matter yeah, when we talk about why it didn't make it to America, like, yes, it was very late in the console cycle, but I think if we're honest, the reason it didn't make it was because Nintendo of America at that time never would have allowed a game with those kind of themes to come to America. Cannibal goats. Yeah, it <laughs> yep. just wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I could see that. I know it's not as bad, but we did get Illusion of Gaia, and that has an upsetting scene with your... Okay, maybe I shouldn't spoil it. Yeah, those three quintet games, you know, we got two of three, so... Yeah. I was bummed that we didn't get the other one. Of course, I'm more upset than anything, as a music guy, that Illusion of Gaia, to this day, has no published soundtrack. I know! The other two games in that trilogy do, but that one does not, which is why they should release soundtrack, like, trilogy box set, so we can all finally have Illusion of Gaia soundtrack. Where records get on that? <laughs> oh my gosh, that should be their next project. Let's tell them. Oh yes, absolutely. I would absolutely not mind if Square Enix would also just release the three games as a collection. Yeah, they they should do that since they now have the rights to it. Considering like they've been actually really good about re-releasing like all the saga stuff, so maybe like they'll look at uh, more of their back catalog soon. I hope so. Yeah, but they do the Square side. They don't do much of the Enix stuff. Yeah, that's true. True story. Okay. So Zelda. <laughs> Let's talk about that Link's Awakening. Yeah. 
So is this not the same song as everyone's favorite Ballad of the Windfish, or does it include that? It includes like hints of it, but it's not Ballad of the Windfish. Like it's it's literally the, the credits roll. For me, Windfish is the song. I mean, I like the staff roll, but if I could pick a song, I'd pick Windfish. And it's interesting because it, the the song version of at least for the this remake, the song version of Ballad of the Windfish kind of kicks us off. Yeah, so it, it's in this song a little bit, and I do agree with you. But since we had to pick an ending song, I went with this. I mean, it's in the song. It's in the song a little bit. Yeah, and the and the three DS staff roll is significantly longer and more fleshed out than the old Game Boy staff roll. <laughs> yeah, like it's kind of a different song, I think. Mm-hmm. In ter- just in terms of like what building blocks they used. I almost did pick the original one because I think it maybe it's n- partially nostalgia, but you know, I. Still think it holds up. Oh yeah, you know, it, it does. It's it's really simple, and uh, you know it's one of those things we we talk about it a lot on older songs, like because of how limited people were with hardware back then. Like you had to make a melody that was like actually memorable and unique, and you know you couldn't just rely on you know different instrument instruments. So I think that's one of the reasons it holds up. But you know the addition of the the vocals in this version, um, I, I think it's. It's a good representation of basically everything else about that remake, where it's so new, but also somehow still completely faithful to the original. Like, I'm still impressed that they did that. Like, it does feel like you're mostly playing the same game, but it's also looks and sounds completely new. Their instrumentation choices are on point. Yes. Like, it really feels like they got kind of the essence of what the Game Boy Sound was going for in terms of instrumentation. Right. It's really fun. And it even has some of those quote instrumentation is um like a little bit of 8-bit sound too that's right there's some of that snuck in there yeah yeah it's a really good blend of things yeah that's a really certainly neat thing to do like conceptually i like that yeah and i mean this this is kind of Link's awakening specific but i love the little changes that they made to the legend of zelda theme that are specific to Link's awakening that you really hear in the staff role yeah it really helps to like kind of set it apart it's kind of whimsical because it's like, you know, it's Zelda. It's the end of the adventure. Congratulations, you did it. But also just with, you know, the context of Link's Awakening, it's also kind of sad in a way. Mm-hmm. I've said it so many times, probably on this very podcast, but it was one of the first games that made a, a much younger me cry a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it, I have a soft spot for this game because I like crying. It's cathartic. It's healthy. Well, you know. I wasn't used to that out of Zelda because like Zelda games, even though Link to the Past had real dialogue and plot and all that, it wasn't so focused on story. And I guess Link's Awakening isn't either, but they did more with the story than I was used to in that series. So I wasn't wasn't ready for it. Right. Yeah. It really hooks you. It does. Like a fish. Like a fish. I gotcha. (laughs) Like a windfish. Like a windfish. Or an angler. Wait, no. Where do you get? What do you do with the hook? Who wants the hook? That is one of the trading items. Yeah, I know. You get it from the fisherman under the bridge, but then you give it to who? Oh, man. Fetch quest <laughs> lines. I get so lost in them. I know. I should know this by now. I know, especially because did play the remake. Wasn't that? Okay, it was actually maybe a couple of years now. Oh, well. I mean, we're, we were stuck in a time singularity. Well, yeah. That's, yeah, it's one way of talking about it for sure. Speaking of time singularities, Hillary. What's your first song? Am I the time singularity? 
No, your first pick is. Oh. Oh yeah. I'm curious. Don't look at me like that. I have I have no no logic or actual reasoning. Oh uh, wait, wait, I got it. It's a time singularity because you can spend so much time playing this game and not even realize how much time you're spending on it. Okay. My first pick is the Overture from Stardew Valley because it sounds like home and I adore it. It is so incredibly calming and welcoming. And I got very sentimental with my ending pick, which is the ending of Shadow Hearts 2, which is localized to Love Moonflower. I also love Moonflower. (laughs) Moonflower is good. I actually would like to plant Moonflowers in Stardew Valley. That would be fun. Yeah, they'd be pretty. Yeah. Okay. Let's go listen to Stardew Valley and Shadow Hearts 2. Sounds good. Oh, 
Yeah, Stardew Valley is completely serene, charming, love the seasons, love all the options, love the characters in the town. It's really easy to get lost in it, and it's all very peaceful, so I think this overture just suits that so well. Um, standout things for me, I really like kind of the panpipe sound at the beginning. I like the little intro that ends with the little ding sound. I like how it's kind of relaxed, drifting. I wrote that it was lilting when the melody actually kicks in. You know, if you're going to use the word overture in your title, like, you better mean it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like, when I think of overtures, like, the first overture that I think of in video game music would be the Dragon Quest overture. It's a march, in the case of Dragon Quest. Different games will have different, like, pre-melodies before they get to the main march, and that's really neat. But when I think of overtures, like for me, conceptually, outside of my classical training, as far as video game music goes, I think of the template of Dragon Quest. And then you listen to Stardew Valley, and especially after playing the game, like an overture should really sort of not just give you a good first impression, but like in hearing it over and over again, fit with your conception of what you experience. Like the overture should really... It's almost like we said about the Heavensward lyrics. It actually captured the entirety of the game's plot, but you didn't know it at the time. It tells you what it is, right? Like if you go to see a musical, the overture gives you little snippets of the whole thing you're about to see. Yeah. Now, it doesn't do it. A lot of times in musical overtures, they'll do that essentially in the form of medley. They're just mm -hmm. tossing in a couple of major songs that you're going to hear later. I don't think Stardew Valley's Overture is a medley. Mm -mm. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I don't think it is from my knowledge of it. But like from an impressions standpoint, from a thematic standpoint, I think it tells you what you're getting involved with yeah. about as accurately as a Dragon Quest instrumental Overture gives you. Yep. And I really like that about it. You put my feelings exactly into words there. <laughs> we played the OST version. I also like the Piano Collections version oh, yeah. of the opening. So just wanted to plug that because uh, I love Piano Collections and I thought the Stardew Valley one was really good. This was also on my list of openings and I was, if I had chosen it, it was going to be between this and the piano version because they're both really good. Yeah, hard not to go with the original though. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful, serene track and it really, like, uh, for a game that is all about, like, good vibes and kind of, like, taking your t your leisure time, it really does feel like Oh yeah, I'm just waking up in the morning and I'm going to go out and farm and hunt for truffles with my pig Keegan. Yeah. I adopted a dog and I'm at 10 hearts with all the villagers. Are you? Are no. you at 10 hearts with all of them now? No. Oh, I am. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't married all of them yet, though. That's probably a good thing. You don't want to get that cutscene. Well, not in one game, <laughs> on different farms. Stardew doesn't let you form a polycule, huh? No, no, no. Well, I mean, you can try, but it's it's not recommended. You can, but you can get caught, and there is a specific cutscene. <laughs> yes. It's like, wait, you did what now? You're who? What? I guess it's um, it's probably a little ironic that in my relaxing time, I choose to play a game that is about working on a farm. It probably says something about me that I don't want to address. But, you know, I guess after 300 hours or so that I can't really deny how much I like the game. <laughs> but it's but even after how much I played, like this song, like still really gets to me. I can't really talk it up anymore after you guys have. <laughs> I really can't put it better than that. But I just I like just the whole relaxation of it. There's like you said, like you when you listen to it, you know what it is you're getting into. So, you know, if you had whatever if you had a bad day or just a busy day or anything like it and you get to sit down and you're like look i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna farm and as soon as this song starts though i'm like i it just puts me in this different headspace and ultimately it's playing the game itself and all of that does it but there's something about the song i feel like even without the context you you still get a little bit of the a little bit of the impact yeah well like i guess it's it's the thing that tells my brain, it's like, yes, we're doing this now. It's just, it's a really, really beautiful opening. I have to say thanks to Pat, because that overture explanation, exactly what I was thinking. So I appreciate you putting that into words. It's like Pat knows his music. <laughs> I didn't write a thousand soundtrack reviews. What? <laughs> I boast about that way too much. <laughs> I mean, if I wrote a thousand soundtrack reviews, I would boast about it too. At least 20% of them deserve a rewrite, because once upon a time I was very young and very dumb. Uh, I would like to direct you to my review of Skyward Sword. Um, please don't look that up. <laughs> Looking it up right now. It wasn't that long ago, but I'm, I'm like, I don't know why I, I scored that a little too high, but that's okay. I don't think your old soundtrack reviews are bad. I think a lot of them were just short, because like way back when we just had shorter <laughs> formats. Yeah, we did more short form reviews back then. And I've thought about doing that more recently, just since I'm so backlogged. But every time I think that, then it's like I listen to an album like Stardew Valley and I go, no, if I were to write about this, like, it's not fair to just try to do a two paragraph. Like, this is pretty and serene and idyllic. Like, there's so much more to it than that. Right. Yeah, I don't know what I. it's. It's something of an ethical dilemma for me, I think. Like, honestly. So now we're getting like, firmly back into sentimental. Big emotions, JRPG yes. territory. Oh boy. Anyone who's played through Shadow Hearts 1 and 2, this song, it really packs a punch. Yeah. I haven't played through it, but I can already guess that it does. Just, I mean, I'll talk about it in a minute, but yeah. I haven't finished Covenant, but I've played the first one. And I know just the general arc of the story. Yeah, so I'll just say this. The premise of Covenant is based on the bad ending from shadow hearts so by the time you get to the end of covenant these characters have gone through a lot especially the central couple and i picked this song because it i really feel like it encapsulates that and it's got a little bit of the interesting tonality and instrumentation that the series is famous for not so much the industrial sound but there are little touches here and there that i think are very shadow hearts yeah from a music standpoint both the vocal performance and the composition like you know the shadow hearts series 
went through a bit of musical transition. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like about it is that, and I would argue that this is different from Xenosaga. You know, Xenosaga started with Mitsuda and then uh, was handed over to Yuki Kajira with Shinji Hosoi doing some in-game work. The Shadow Hearts series started with Mitsuda and then was essentially handed over to someone whose name I'm forgetting, which is pathetic because I've met him and have a soundtrack signed, so... <laughs> um, why can't I remember his name? He plays bass. He's really awesome. I wish I could help you. I don't have it in front of me right now. I don't want to... It's not Roka, is it? Yeah. Oh, Yoshitaka yes! Hiro Yoshitaka Hirota. Yes! Yeah, so he, he became the lead on two, and then he was essentially the solo composer on From the New World, and he was also essentially the lead on the arranged album for the series Near-Death Experience. But for me, this vocal track really stands apart from pretty much everything across the entire franchise. And normally I would say I don't like that or that that's a bad thing. But if you've one, if you've played the game and two, if you if you're willing to have an open enough mind, I think it's really actually really fitting in terms of like the instrumentation used and the style of the vocals. There is something sort of worldly about it by which i mean like world music or ethnic mm -hmm. and that's really key to shadow hearts since a lot of this franchise is about exploring the entire world and then also like the spirituality or myth or lore of every region that you're going through yeah it's it's actually worth it to mention for people unfamiliar with the series it's one of those series that essentially is historical fiction. First game's in China, I think is where you start off. And you work your way to Europe and, the, and Covenant goes between Europe and Japan. Is it the first one or the second? I think it's the first one that has the entire Rasputin Anastasia arc built into it. I think that's two. Because Rasputin's, Rasputin's one of the main antagonists. Yeah, yeah, that is two. Yeah, it's really neat. Yeah, he's up through like the first disc of the game, I think. And the princess is a party member. Yes, yeah, Anastasia joins the party, yeah. So, yeah, that kind of stuff is really neat. And then from the New World, it's all North and South America, which is um, when you get to South America is when the game gets good, in my opinion. But I think I stopped at Chichen Itza. A lot of people don't like from the New World as much as I did. But hey, uh, the review for the game on RPG fan that is my handiwork so I'm very proud of that but yeah Love Moonflower is it really stands out as just in my opinion it stands out as musically other compared to the instrumentals and even the other vocals of this game and other games but somehow it still works in some ways I would think about like um Okay, like just in the last episode, we talked about Weight of the World and some people thinking that didn't fit with the soundscape of Nier and Nier Automata. And like, in some ways, one might say, yeah. But on the other hand, if you know, kind of know what's going on, you would go, actually, this is really smart and really perfect. Almost in the same way that like Snake Eater at the end of Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> like, that song does not really fit the vibe of the first two games and only kind of fits the vibe of the third game but along with being a very memorable standalone track i think given time it is very well and easily associated with that game so i'd say the same for way to the world and the same for love moon flower and maybe the same for like 
I Am the Wind from uh, Symphony of the Night. Oh, no! Yes! (laughs) Yes! Thank you. I almost brought that one on, too. Yeah. To me, Love Moon Flower and I Am the Wind, I can go like, yep, you wouldn't have seen this coming, but it still works. Right. And I think it works with the characters and and their arc. And I think... I agree. Musically, it's not very similar because you have have a lot of atonal singing, a lot of heavily rhythmic music, and like I said, some of it's almost industrial, and this is certainly not that, but I think it's kind of like the slight world music tie-ins that help a little bit in that respect, but also it does stand apart. So now, for me, who has played none of these games, except for the first couple hours of Kodelka, which is... An ongoing game right now, and boy, that's an experience. I'm enjoying it. Oh, man. it's just I really should play that. That's what I'm missing from the Shadow Hearts experience in my life. I've always wanted to play it. So, yeah, so I don't don't have the context. Like I've done with some other ones in here, I did look up, I looked up the lyrics and was listening to it. And I'll say this, because obviously I keep hearing that it, it hits hard and it's emotional and whatever goes on, I don't, I still don't fully know. But what I think is interesting is listening to it, the, the tone of the song, even if you don't know what's being said, the emotion in the voice. Once I looked up the lyrics, it kind of lines up with what I was expecting. Like, even if I don't know the context, I, I got the sense of where it was going and the tone it was going for without knowing the words and all those stuff. And reading it kind of confirmed that. So I'm, I'm sure the people that have finished the game can say yes, yes. It's, it's what you think it is. But I think it's impressive that it can come through even if you don't know the language and don't have the context of the game. Mm-hmm. It still gives you the right like emotional response even without knowing any of that. Yeah, so and if I'd say that's impressive. And if you're saying that's true with like an especially impressive amount of clarity, then yeah, that is, I don't know, something something about the chorus too just really gets me every time. It's sort of like a call out it's a strong chorus, yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I enjoyed everyone's picks today. <laughs> I think this was a this was a really great episode. Yeah, good yeah, choices, too. y'all. All right, so now that we're done with episode 63, coming up on the show in a few weeks, episode 64 is going to be an episode about the Bravely Default games. After that, we're doing another very, very long-awaited topic amongst several of our staff, adventure game music. <laughs> So that will be point and click graphic adventures. Why are you laughing? Maybe do only waited by maybe two or three of us. <laughs> it's been on our list for years. We just needed the right people to like say, look, I want to talk about these games. I want to talk about Monkey Island and whatever else is going to be on there. And then we're going all over the place in the next three. So we're going to go from Bravely Default to Graphic Adventures and then to Final Fantasy 14 episode. That deserves like a multiple episodes <laughs> it, it does it, it, masayoshi so can single-handedly written like 30 hours of music now for that game well he won a guinness world record for like most songs composed yeah. for a single game so and he's still going and he's still going Aww. so anyway that that's what's coming next if you want to give us some ideas of your own for episodes we could do like we like suggestions we like feedback you know let us know what you thought about this one or anything else so you can email the show at music at rpgfan.com you can email me at mike at rpgfan.com. I technically exist on social media, but don't really use it. So if you want to talk to me, email is the best way. Uh, so for Hillary, how can people reach you? The best way to reach me is probably Discord, where I'm EP Fire. And Pat. Best way to reach me is on Twitter, Gamedactyl, 
I was mocked for this two episodes ago. G-A-M-E-O, dactyl. You did it again. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. And Peter. Um, you can find me on Twitter at I Have Fury. You can also email me, PeterT at RPGFan.com, or reach out to me on Discord, P-Trees. P-Trees. I like that one. Simple, easy to remember. Yeah. Okay. And since I haven't reminded yet this episode, we're going to have the full track list of every song that was on here and places to buy or stream when they're available anyway. So you'll be able to find those on the, the RPGFan.com post or in your podcast description. And I also need to mention our several other podcasts, Random Encounter, which is our general gaming podcast. Greg hosts that. And that comes out every two weeks or so. And then we also have Retro Encounter. That goes up every Thursday, Friday. And that's old games. There's a game journal every month with some other episodes in between. There's always something interesting going on on Retro Encounter. And then our affiliate podcast is Phoenix Edge. So we've been affiliated with them for a little while now. They run a, an RPG podcast on YouTube, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So make sure to check them out. You can find them linked on our podcast page on the site with all of our other shows. So all of it's worth listening to. And then before we get into all of our bonus tracks, the last thing I'll say is if you can, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. All of that helps, especially on Apple. And I assume Google is the same way. The more ratings and reviews you get, it does help get the word out and increase your exposure. So I think everyone on the show can agree that the more people that know and get introduced to a lot of this video game music, the better. Absolutely. So usually when we do a bonus track, it's never the host. That's always, almost always how we've done it on Rhythm Encounter. We always let one of the guests do it. If there's a guest, that person does it, or it's divided between the other guests. But again, I had 17 choices here. I wanted to do it. So for once, I'm going to say I'm picking a bonus track. But Pat, I am curious about what some of your other ideas would have been. If I could make this a 10 hour episode, you would have heard. The intro to the first Wild Arms. I'm sure there's somebody yelling at me for picking Wild Arms 2 <laughs> instead of Wild Arms 1. And a bunch of other people whistling. Into the Wilderness has one of the most iconic intros ever written. Um, I would have Sukoden 3. Um, I would have Sukugaiden Volume 1. I would have the East 6 opening. I would have East 2's opening to make the end of battle, the Chronicles version. I would have both Lunars, I would have Xenogears. I would have cheated and used the climax at Greyland's Incident prologue, which is in a 13-minute track from Vagrant Story. Oh, and then for endings, I would have had the staff roll from Final Fantasy Tactics. I would have had small two of pieces from Xenogears. <laughs> I almost did that one. I would have done E6's ending vocal from the Songs of Zemeth album, um, the song Cumulus. I would have done, um, oh gosh, what was the one that I was thinking about? Oh, yeah, I would have had Final Fantasy VIII's ending orchestra version with Eyes on Me, Ooh. but also includes that staff roll with that F minor thing from the piano collection. Like, there's like a 16-minute ending to FF8, and like that whole part is beautiful. So, yeah, all of that needs to be on this episode, but it just can't. So, oh well. Okay. Well, it's funny that a lot of your potential ones overlapped with what Peter was going to do. 
but of all of those, you still didn't end up with the good or bad choice, depending on your perspective of what I'm going with. Okay. We're going to close out with the ending theme from Breath of Fire 5 Dragon Quarter. Yes. Ooh. Fun choice. I think it's an interesting choice. I was actually just looking at a review I read recently about how this one song is completely removed from everything else in that soundtrack. Because it doesn't musically, it doesn't sound like anything else on there. I don't know if that's good or bad for people, but I mean, I love that soundtrack. And even though this doesn't sound like it at all, I think it's a really surprising choice to close out that game with, which is even if I haven't finished it, I know it's a very dark game, even though it in theory has an optimistic ending. But I was reminded of it, actually, because just recently I've been kind of on this near music bender. So... I have a playlist of near music, and I decided because it's close enough, I put the soundtrack to Dragon Guard 3 on there. Uh huh. And I was reminded how much I like a very particular song in Dragon Guard 3. And I was looking up the vocalist for The Silence is Mine. Yep, same vocalist as Dragon Quarter, right? I had no idea. I've been hearing both songs for years. I had no idea it was the same vocalist. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Since The Silence is Mine was on Rhythm Encounter episode 20. Um, I can't use that one. So instead, we're going to close out with Castle Imitation from Breath of Fire 5 Dragon Quarter. So thank you all for being here, and thanks everyone for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.
something something darkness something something light something something cup noodles cup noodles <laughs> out of my system now <laughs> beautiful <laughs> and done